Oh, God, this is our Father's world. Why should our hearts be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. We're glad that we can come to you with anything. Some people are going through bad stuff right now. They need to know this is your world and you're still on the throne. We need to remind ourselves that house is your house. This house is your house. This space is your space. Fill it now and be at work behind the scenes, dear God. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, look, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I'm going to make a prediction right here, right here, right now. The very last exile in this world, the very last exile will be a woman. That's an interesting thought. Given all this hubbub in the world and in the church about the place of the woman, the very last exile will be a woman. I don't suppose we should be surprised because the very first exile in the beginning was a woman. So that the last exile would be a woman, hey, I'm okay. But it's you and me, the exiles who are squeezed in between the two. We're way down here with the last woman. This narrative is for us. It's a dramatic narrative. It comes alive right now, once upon a time. Way up in the northwestern corner of Italy, a woman crouched in hiding. She knew they were coming for her. She knew she was marked for extinction, decimation, finis, gone. She knew, and so she hid. Hmm. Four o'clock in the morning, black, chilly April morning, cold. Could we see them by the light of the moon? We would see the surrounding Alps with white halos where the snow still lies. It's 4 a.m. Boom! Goes a cannon, the designated sign. And the Italian dragoons, who just two days ago had ingratiated themselves to the hapless villagers, saying, we're here just a couple days and then we'll be on our way inviting themselves into all the homes of that little village, leap from their beds, boom, that's the sign, swords and knives unsheathed. And thus begins the bloody extermination of a little Italian town called La Torre on the banks of the Perici River that is flowing red by the time the sun rises. It is the planned extermination of the Waldensians. This Christ-loving, Bible-believing resistance movement to Rome far away. A tragic moment is described by James Wiley in his graphic history of the Waldensians. I put it on the screen for you, describing that morning with these agonizing words. At 4 o'clock in the morning of Saturday, 
The 24th of April, 1655, the signal was given, and a thousand assassins began the work of death. Alas, what sounds are those that repeatedly strike the ear? The cries and groans of the dying were echoed and re-echoed from rocks around, and it seemed as if the mountain had taken up a wailing for the slaughter of, of their children, little children torn from their mother's arms. You see the ellipses, dot, dot, dot. It's too horrific to read in civilized presence. But Wiley records it. Children torn from the arms of their mothers, the sick and the aged, burned alive in their dwellings, others flailed alive, roasted alive, some disemboweled. My hand trembles, says Pastor Laguerre, so that I can scarce hold the pen. My tears mingle in torrents with my ink while I write the deeds of these children of darkness, blacker even than the prince of darkness himself." End quote. How many thousand Waldensians? perished in Rome's extermination attempt in those sequestered, sequestered alpine valleys. Only heaven knows. But we do know that when some of the survivors made their way to England, Sir Oliver Cromwell announces a day of mourning and fasting in that kingdom. And the great English poet John Milton grabs his pen to capture for posterity the infamy of that Roman massacre. He describes in his poem how many of the Waldensians that early morning resorted to a hideout that they had up the mighty Castelluzzo. It's a couple miles high above the valley floor, but on the way to the top is a cavern. And they, they amassed themselves, these survivors. We're talking about moms and dads and children and grandmas and grandpas and strangers within their gates hiding in, those ca in that cave. But the dragoons knew of that cave. It takes a while to climb it, two hours. Karen and I have climbed it twice. The dragoons make their way to that cave, and you guessed it, one by one, they hauled them out. And up to the rocky precipice, they hurled them down. I stood. I said, hold on to me, hold on to me to the rocks and their deaths. Milton describes that infamous day in his sonnet on the late massacre in Piedmont. On the screen, please. Avenge, O Lord, thy slaughtered saints whose bones lie scattered on the Alpine mountains cold. Even them who kept thy truth so pure of old, when all our fathers worshipped stocks and stones, forget not in thy book record their groans. Who were thy sheep and in their ancient fold slain by the bloody Piedmontese that rolled mother with infant down the rocks, their moans, the veils redoubled to the hills, and they to heaven, their martyred blood and ashes sow o'er all the Italian fields where still doth sway the triple tyrant that from these may grow a hundredfold who having learnt thy way early may fly in the Babylonian woe, end quote. <laughs> Dwight, what's this have to do with the very last exile? It has everything to do. Open your Bible with me right now to the Apocalypse, last book of the Bible, chapter 12. Let's go. Our little In Exile mini-series is ending right now, as you can see on the screen, the very last exile. You missed any of these pieces. They're all sitting there on that website, newperceptions.tv. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1, I'm in the NIV, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. 
and seven crowns on its heads. And its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Hit the pause button. My, oh, my, oh, my. What a beautiful... I picture her as beautiful. I mean, she's arrayed in the sun. She's standing on the moon. She has a garland of 12 stars. What a beautiful but tragic woman in this tale. I mean, to have that salivating, roaring dragon, which head is going to get the head of my child when it comes out? Seven heads just waiting for that baby to be born. Beautiful. Oh, woman, you are in trouble. You have done something to incite this seven-headed beast seeking to exterminate you, devour you, finish you. But it gets even worse. Watch this. Because she flees a dragon and he's hot on her trail. Okay, drop down to verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Come on. This dragon, this seven-headed crimson Dragon. Who is he? I'll tell you who he is. Verse 6 says, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But I love verse 8. I love verse 8. You have to look at it in your Bible. Look at verse 8. But he, the dragon, was not strong enough. Hallelujah. He was not strong enough. And they, he and his minions, lost their place in heaven. Now, who's this dragon? Come on. Verse 9 on the screen. The great dragon was hurled down to the earth, that ancient serpent called the devil. Please never forget that devil is evil with a D. All right? There's no good to him. He's been the incarnation of evil from the beginning. So who is he? The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. That's who this bad dragon is. Yeah, but who's this woman? I mean, she's beautiful. I, I love to picture her. Oh, you know what? In apocalyptic literature, a pure and beautiful woman always symbolizes God's faith community on earth. Pure and beautiful. Oh, by the way, if they ever ask you to play a part in an apocalyptic uh, little uh, program at, at your school and they ask you to play a part, never choose the impure woman because she's called a whore. She's a prostitute. It's bad. You don't want to play her part. You don't want to sleep with her either. No, no, no. You don't want to sleep with her. This is the beautiful woman. Tragic story that hers is. But, oh, girl, you, you, are, you are in big trouble because that dragon is going to get you. You have been marked for extermination. Verse 13 again. And when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now, keep reading. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Two time periods, 1260 days. That time period we just read, they're the same, and scholars are clear that those are the dark, dark, dark Middle Ages. 
But the woman is given wings. She flies, she flies to a wilderness. Now, in apocalyptic prophecy, water always symbolizes people, people, masses. But the opposite of water is a barren land, dry, no water. That describes the sparsity of population. So she flees to where there are few people. But the dragon sees her, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. He knows where she's hiding. She has fled Rome's long arm and reach. Not a bad idea. But they know now where she's hiding. Verse 15. Read it. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed what? People. People spewed up into northern Italy, spewed up into France, spewed wherever he smells their existence. And the dragon spewed water like a river to overtake the woman, sweep her away with the torrent. He has one idea. Dis, dis, disengage. Disseminate. Exterminate. The, the, the point of that torrent is kill him. But the earth helped the woman by opening up its mouth and swallowing the river, this is verse 16, that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. That earth has been a helper for centuries. No more today. No more. Too late. We found you. Hey, listen, fellow exiles, listen, 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 listen. This, this is not history. This is now you and me. Let's think for a moment. It has always been true or false. It has always been the dragon's modus operandi from the beginning to kill the faithful, loyal adherence to the Creator God. True or false? Of course it's true. Yo, Cain, your kid brother makes me as sick as he makes you. You know what you're going to do? You're going to kill him. Just kill him. I don't care how you do it. Just kill him. And what does Cain do? He hears that voice. He obeys. He kills Abel. From the first murder to the end of time, Jesus said he's been a murderer and a liar from the beginning. That's the dragon for you. And if you're in exile, as you and I are, guess what? Mother and her children are all marked for extermination. Yeah. Exiles, even in hiding, he'll find them. And thus it is that century after century of repeated attempts into the sequestered valleys of the northern Italian Alps, he finally breaks through. April 24, 1655, the tragic morning of. Oh, but what about the tragic night of August 23, 1572, the tragic night of the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre? This dragon is massacre crazy. Exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. And as you're going to find out in a moment, his preferred modus operandi for that is decapitate. Decapitate. Hmm. What's the story have to do with you and me? <laughs> I'll put this on the screen because this is the take-home line. Put it up there, please, right now. This narrative clearly reveals in Revelation 12 an exile movement at the end of time that completes the exile mission of the beautiful woman. She's always had a mission. She will always have children. And the exiles today have her mission. The exile movement leads to the exile mission. That's the line. Put it up again. I've got to read that again. Revelation 12 clearly reveals an exile movement at the end of time that completes the exile mission of the beautiful woman. Because you see, there's one verse left. Let's read it together. Revelation 12, 17. So the earth helps the woman 
The dragon's furious, verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went to make, went, went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. She has children. Children born in exile, just like she is. She has children. Who are these children? John describes them. Her offspring, those who keep God's commandments and have the testimony of Jesus. Two marks for the exiles at the end. In the end game, here are the two marks. Number one, they have the testimony of Jesus. Yep. That is the people who keep the Ten Commandments have the testimony of Jesus. Well, the Ten Commandments, we understand. It's the Fourth Commandment. Everybody knows that, ten, that the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment calls for a Sabbatarian community. So there, it would be a Sabbatarian community. And what's the other one? Has the testimony of Jesus. Oh, and just a few pages later, Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here will be a band of exiles at the end of time who are Sabbatarians and who have the spirit of prophecy, whatever that is. Isn't that amazing? Which means that the exiles stand with Mother Church at the end of time when the dragon moves in for decapitation. I'm going to share a verse with you that you have never read. You've read it, but you skipped right over it. You have not seen what's in this verse. I'll just bet you. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. I want to show you that generation at the very end. So let me just turn a few pages. What are we in? Twelve, so eight pages over. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And it goes like this, I saw thrones on which were seated those. Oh, you see, Jesus has returned to the earth and He is redeemed. He has rescued all His exiled children. And, he, and uh, Revelation 7 declares, look, when you see the crowd, you have no idea how many are in. The number is so big, no man can count them. Nobody can count them. So you mathematicians, you can't count them. It's a huge group that Jesus takes to heaven. Now, this is in heaven. They call it the millennium. Some people call it the millennium. In heaven, He sees thrones and seated on the thrones are those who've been given authority to judge. Now, keep reading because this is going to open your eyes. And I saw the souls of those who had been what? What's that next word? Beheaded. Beheaded. Decapitation. All right? I saw the souls of those. These are people on earth that have been decapitated. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their... Now, watch this. Number one, their testimony about Jesus. And because of, number two, the Word of God. Hey, wait a minute. That's what we just read of the Revelation 12, 17 community. Number one, they keep the commandments of God. And number two, they have the testimony of Jesus. This is the same group. They, they call them the remnant, the last, the, the last, the very last exiles. These are the shh, decapitated ones. Oh, come on, Dwight. You can't prove that. Well, just read the next line. That cinches it. What's the next line? These had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or in their hands. Ladies and gentlemen, this is called the end of the end game. These are the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are asked, you see this image, this golden image? You bow down to it right now or we're going to decapitate you. And they're going to say, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, O king, we will not bow down to this image. Even if you stoke the fires seven times hotter, we're not bowing down. Even if God does not save us, we're not bowing down. Decapitation. These are they. They made it. They died. The last exiles. Wow. These are the last of the woman's seed on earth. Exiles like her, executed like so many of her children through the ages. Apparently, listen, listen. Apparently, 
The children of the beautiful woman at the end of time will not be exempted from the fate of the children of the beautiful woman throughout time. Same fate. Same fate. Some of us thought we were going to heaven on beds of ease. Apparently not. And your point is, Dwight? Hmm? No. <laughs> it's not my point. It's John's point. You got to get it. The beautiful woman's exile mission gets completed and finished by her exiled children. And in doing so, they will face the searing heat of the dragon's last fury. <sighs> Enraged dragon will hurl his endgame forces against these to decapitate them, and some of them will seal their testimony with the supreme sacrifice of death. Meaning, this very narrative, what it's already been hinting, we're getting it now. We just got it. I want you to look at the two verses we skipped over, and then I'll sit down. Look, go back to verse 10. This is amazing. You got to see this. <laughs> verse 10. Look at this. Should be in your Bible. Oh, yeah, we got to go back to chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice. In the Greek, it's megalephone. So this is really loud. This is big stuff. When megalephone appears, those two words in the Greek, you know it. This is huge. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come. Oh, I love that. Now have come. Scholars believe that these words are sung the moment the crucified, buried, risen Jesus ascends back to heaven and is enthroned in chapter 5 on the throne of the universe, the, the, all heaven sings these words, the 24 elders, they sing these words. Oh, I love that, because of Calvary. Now have come. You know what Jesus said on, on Calvary in the English? It is finished. This is to match the English, it is finished. It is finished. Now have come. It is finished. Now have come. What is it? What is it, this megalophone announcement? Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah for, hold on, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, so somebody in heaven is singing this, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Hallelujah. He's down. He's down. Calvary. He's down. He's down. This last week, I was talking with a young man who got sucked into the drug culture in our little corner of the world. Started off with a little bit of weed, then prescription drugs, not his own, then meth. Before he knew it, he was hooked. But in moments of sobriety, the voice of God would speak to him and call him away from that bondage. You don't want this. You don't need this. Come to me. I'll set you free. But I need you to want me. And he told me, as I'm sitting there listening to him, that just like that, that gator in the grass shows up. And I scribbled it down, what he told me, okay? Then I would hear this other voice, a harsh voice of accusation. You, you can't go back now. Look at you. You're hopelessly addicted. I mean, how many times have you asked God to deliver you? And He hasn't now, has He? He has not delivered you. You might as well give up, girl. You might as well give up, boy. You ever heard that voice before? Oh, I have. 
You know why? Because you're a loser. L-L loser. That's you. And God doesn't want losers hanging around him. So you might as well give up. That's why God's never answered your prayer. You're a loser. If you had been stronger, you'd have been healed by now. But no, you're not healed. You're a loser. Loser, 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 loser. That's the way the accuser works. When this boy is telling me this, tears are in my eyes because I'm, st- I'm, st- I'm a personal eyewitness to the battle. And I'm th- saying to myself, I cannot believe the brutalization of the enemy over every victim he holds. I just... You've heard that voice. I've heard that voice. That voice is a killer. But I'm here to tell you by the authority of God's Word of the verse I just read that that voice is a liar. He is a liar. You are not a loser. You are the, you are the object of the Savior of the universe who picked you out before you were born and said, I want that girl. I want that girl in my house one day. I want that boy in my house one day. Mark him, Gabriel. Mark her, Gabriel. That's my child. I've chosen her. I've chosen her. I'm not going to lose her. And that voice of the sweet God, of the beautiful woman is whispering to you, don't believe it. Don't believe it. It's not true. I love you. You are not a loser. You're my girl. You're my boy. And you're coming home with me one day. So stick with me. Stay with me. I have to have your permission now. Wow. What you have just read in that one line, that announcement from heaven, exposes the nakedness of the devil's modus operandi. It's bankrupt. He's lying. But he has so many believe in his voice now, they give up. They throw in the towel. They hoist the white flag of surrender. I give up. All right. You always wanted to live this way anyway, didn't you? You always wanted. Now you have it. You don't have to have a conscience now. You don't have to feel bad now. I got you. I'll take good care of you. Girl, I'll take good care of you, boy. Just stay with me. Liar. Liar. Jesus, when he cries out from that center cross, it is finished, is announcing, now has come. And do you see what? I put it on the screen again. Do you see what's come now? Thanks to Calvary. Now has come. Now have come the salvation, number one, and the power, number two, and the, and the kingdom of our God, number three, and the authority of his, of his Messiah, King Jesus. It has all come now, and you got it. It's all on your side. Now have come. Oh, I tell you what, that was such a great song that you let us in. Nick, nice to have you back. A moment ago, this, this is the song, In Christ Alone, but th- look at No power of hell, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. He's a liar. The accuser is a, a liar. That's all Jesus needed to say, and that's all I need to say. Satan is a defeated foe. He lost at Calvary, but he des- desperately needs you not to believe that he lost. Hence, the toothless roar of this gutless dragon. I got, I've got what you're going to say to Satan next time he comes to you. When you die that 911 to Jesus, I have the exact words. I'm going to put them on the screen for you. You're going to want to jot this down. It's the little classic Steps to Christ, pages 34 and 35, okay? So jot this down because you're going to put this on a little note card and carry it around in your office and in your home and your dorm room or wherever. This is a great quote. Put it on the screen, please. When Satan the accuser 
comes to tell you that you are a great sinner, and he does it to all of us, look up to your Redeemer and talk of Jesus' merits. That which will help you is to just look up to his light. 911, 911, the, 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 the dragon is here. Just look up to the light. When you look to the light, it's suddenly, it's not dark anymore. Lucifer always brings darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. Look up to the light. Keep going, because here comes the, the actual words you're going to use. That which will help you is to look to his light. Acknowledge your sin. Hey, yo, yo, dragon, you're right. You trying to prove something to me? I acknowledge that. Acknowledge your sin. Keep reading. But tell the enemy. Now, here are your words. Go to 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You got it right. I am a sinner, but I got it right. Christ Jesus came to save me, so I'm saved. Accusing voice, I'm saved. And by the way, the rest of that... 1 Timothy 1.15 goes like this. Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst in the NIV. I am the worst sinner. So go ahead. Lay it on me. Tell me some more. What else did I do? What else did I do yesterday? Tell me what I'm going to do tomorrow. He can't. But that drives him crazy. Tell me. I am a sinner, but Jesus died for me. Oh, brother. 911, get this gator out of here. Back to the weeds. Look, keep reading. You may be saved by Jesus' matchless love. You got to remember that. We have been great sinners, but Christ died that we might be forgiven. It is when we most fully comprehend the love of God that we best realize the sinfulness of sin. The closer you get to the love of God, you'll figure it out. When we see the length of the chain, the, the, the rope that's thrown down to us, to save us, when we understand something of the infinite sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf at the cross, our hearts are melted with tenderness and contrition, end quote. Listen, listen, ladies and gentlemen, the devil has no addiction, has no addiction that Jesus cannot crush. That's going to be a battle to the last day. All addictions are a battle to the last day. Once addicted, you know, you're going to live with that. But that doesn't mean you have to fall day after day after day. No, 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 no. We have blood. Oh, I got to show you this. No addiction, no temptation mm -mm. can withstand the crimson power of Calvary. So that's the other verse. And I'll sit down. Verse 11. And they, okay, put this on the screen because I put a little annotations there. And they, who are the they? The, the exiled children of the beautiful woman, the remnant, the last exiles on earth. They triumphed or overcame or conquered him. Who's the him? The accusing but defeated dragon. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, code language for Calvary, and by the word of their testimony. What's their testimony? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Do you understand that? I already know this. You're not telling me a thing. By the word of their testimony, they overcome the killer, the accuser. Oh, and keep reading because there's more. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The last exiles. Devil, I'm talking to you. You can go ahead and decapitate me. Go ahead. I don't need this head anymore anyway. You can take it off. I know whom I have believed. And I know he is able to keep that which I have committed. Unto him until that day. I may die, 
You may hear one day, that's a little bump in the ground, that old Dwight boy. He's gone. But I tell you what, I win. You lose, devil. Lose. Take my hand. They did not shrink from death. No. There'll be a band of exiles at the end. Not all the exiles will end up that way. But it'll be an end game you'll never forget. Till Jesus just wipes that memory and says, Isn't it great to be home? Forget it. And we'll forget it all. <laughs> Heaven is cheap enough. Ah. You lost, devil. Because by his grace, I am his forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And by the way, that young man, saved in Jesus. You say, how do you know that, Dwight? Because I heard him pray this week. It's the prayer of an exile set free in Christ. Amen. Oh, God, here we are, exiles. But this, thank you for calling for this moment because you needed this moment. We put all of our lives in your hands. Mother, beautiful mother that we are children of, don't let us fail you now. We've got to stand for this, and it's going to get tougher. Just keep your ears open. Watch what's happening. It's going to get tougher. But, oh, God, you've made provision. This is going to be your greatest hour. And we are humble, weak, fallible children. But we are exiles. Like Daniel and Esther and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, the little Jewish maiden and Jonah, we are exiles and we stand before you. Seal our hearts. Seal this decision. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.